prepare for our divine worship hour. We would like to welcome our KKVV listeners. You are now tuned in to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, located at 1720 North J Street. If you would like to see this service, you can tune in to uh, www.abundantlifelv.org. We want to welcome everyone today, our listening audience, as well as those here with us today. Our speaker for the day on Father's Day or the day before Father's Day is our own senior pastor, Calvin B. Rock. The message is entitled today, Profile of Fatherhood. After our scripture reading by dear brother Jezreel Brown and a musical selection by brother John Murphy, the next voice you will hear will be that of Calvin B. Rock on the subject profile of fatherhood. Hear ye him. Happy Sabbath, church. Our scripture for today is coming from Ephesians 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't mistreat your children or make them angry, but love them as members of God's family. Raise them up with discipline in the teachings of the Lord, training them to serve others. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Your name, there's a joy that 
fathers, but our real purpose for being here is to honor our Heavenly Father. And I ask you to bow your head with me now as we talk to Him. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you for the health and strength and the will and wish to be present here today. And as we open the Word on this special day with this special thought regarding the Father's and our obligations and responsibilities and privileges. We pray that the Holy Spirit shall be our teacher and that we shall be willing and obedient learners. In Jesus' name, amen. We have something for you. As usual here at Abundant Life, we like to illustrate what we do. So, brethren... I'm going to ask that you see to it that our ushers are supplied and that all of those in the congregation get a copy, a sermon copy. We have some here on the table for you on the rostrum and perhaps you can share them with those who are in the choir loft. Let's begin by giving one to uh, every husband and wife and we'll save We'll save them so that if we have more than every individual, and Pastor Lee Wars, I'm going to ask you to watch the distribution. And in case we run short, I think the, uh, the wheels can roll again and we can get some more. Thank you. I want to thank Sister Gail Ellis and Sister Carol Dyer for that beautiful front. Now just fold it in half, everybody. Just take your copy and fold it like I have mine. Fold it in half. And you see the picture of the dad, the loving picture of dad there. And in the middle, we have the substance of our thought. But I want to make sure we're all together. And while I'm doing this, those of you listening by radio, if, again, you would like a copy of the information now being shared, you may call us at 647-2627. 647-2627.
And we are distributing this because we want you to take it home. Now, how many of you were here on Mother's Day? May I see your hands? Those of you here, remember? All right. Then you have one just like this on a profile of motherhood, right? I hope you save these things that we distribute. I hope you save them. But this is the one, the companion piece, may I call it, the companion piece on fatherhood. So you put the motherhood with the fatherhood, we get the whole family together, and we're going to study together the Word of God. Thank you, Jezreel, for reading the scripture from Ephesians 6, verse 4. And if you turn in your Bibles now, as we begin today's study, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 18, I'll read the primary verse. And I'm going to get a hold of one of the microphones here because I think we'll need that before it's over as well. I've asked Pastor Lee to share with me, and he'll be doing that in a few moments. Thank you, Pastor Bannon. Now, Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, the Word of God reads as follows. Since Abraham surely became a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, and the old King James says, I know Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God says, for I know Abraham that he will command his household after him. What a wonderful statement of confidence that the great God of the universe would say to the church about Father Abraham, for I know Abraham. I know Abraham, and he will command his household after him. And that's what we want to talk about today. A profile of faithful fatherhood. Did we all get a copy? If you didn't, may I see your hands? Anybody missed? All right. I think the pastors will serve you in just a moment. Be patient with us. But let's move right along. And if you will open your lesson, those of you who have already been served, I want to begin by noticing here the first of several statements made by the prophet to the remnant church, Ellen White. And most of these references will be from her books because they illumine very, very clearly the, the subject matter. As we've said many times, Ellen White is not the Bible. Everybody say that, would you? Ellen White is not the Bible. Would you say it again? Don't let anybody tell you that Seventh-day Adventists worship Ellen White. We don't. Ellen White is not the Bible. But Ellen White helps us to understand the Bible. Can you say that? Ellen White helps us understand. Can you say that again? Ellen White helps us understand the Bible. That's what she is. And as she herself said, I am the lesser light that helps lead to the greater light but that lesser light is so very meaningful in so many ways, one of which we are discussing here today. And the first thing I want you to notice, please, is the role of fathers. The what, everybody? 
What is the father's role? Well, in the book Adventist Home, and I didn't bring that one with me, but it's a little book that looks like this one, Child Guidance, and it has a lot of good things in it. And one of the things it says about fathers has to do with his qualifications. The father should be mature. The father should be honest. The father should be spiritual. The father should be unselfish. The father should be considerate. And the father should be humble. And young ladies, if you're getting ready to get married and you see a man with all those qualifications, grab him. <laughs> he is worthy of your attention. And there's one more I want to add. If he loves his mother. Let me tell you something, young ladies. If you're getting ready to marry and the brother doesn't love his mama, you can forget it, yeah? If he doesn't love his own mother, he's not going to love you. So before you go to the altar, my dear sister, you make sure that you get a mature man. Don't marry a baby. Some ladies say, well, I'll marry him and I'll develop him. You're taking an awful risk. Because some of us never do develop. We get old and gray and go to the grave undeveloped. So you marry a man that's mature. I have several grandsons in their 20s. And I wish I could be a great grandfather. I want to be a great grandfather. But those brothers won't marry. I don't know why they won't marry. I want to say hurry up and marry so I can be a great grandfather. But uh, you know what they say? They say, well, uh, we, we want to get a house and we want to get a uh, little money in the bank and we want our school to be completed. We'd like, and you know, that kind of makes sense. Kind of makes sense. And I'd rather they be mature before they marry than to be immature and unready. So all of these are good qualifications and every one of them could, could, could be expanded upon but let's move along remember the role of the father is that he is the head of the home he is the what the now I think I should read a few verses here I don't want to keep you too late we've had a full program today but bear with us because some scriptures have got to be read and explained and one of them is Genesis 3.16. Read that with me, will you please? The book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, this is God. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your? And he shall what? Oh, you got quiet on that one, ladies. Yeah, you, you, you suddenly, you can't, you need glasses, ladies? You need, you need glasses? The cat got your tongue? The Bible says he shall, what? You still don't want to say it. All right, I won't force you. I won't force you. I won't force you. He shall rule over you. And I'm going to explain that. Not as bad as it sounds. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Turn over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the H-E-A-D. What does that spell? Of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. And look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And verse 33, and that's the one I really wanted to get to. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she, the Old Testament, the Old King James says, reverence her husband. 
Now they changed it in the new King James and made it sound a little better. Respect her husband. I like that one better, don't you? And the problem here is that a lot of these original languages, a lot of words in the original Greek and the Hebrew don't translate so very well for modern understandings. Now, when men hear or read the Bible saying, as husband, I am the head and I rule, what must be understood is that we men are head servants. Now that changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Head servant. My job, C.B. Rock, is the head servant for Clara P. Rock. I am her servant. In fact, sometimes I'm her slave. But it didn't say slave, did it? See, Brother Richardson, he doesn't want me to go too far with this because he doesn't want... He doesn't want to be Deborah quoting me. All right. We are head servants. That's what it means. When God says, God gives us the rulership of servanthood. That's what Ephesians means. When it says, as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do? Christ got down on his knees and washed the dirty feet of the disciples. He didn't sit back. I am the head. My way or the highway. Uh, that's, that's what a lot of men say. My way or the highway. And one man said, baby, I want you home two times, when I'm here and when I'm gone. That's all I want. And I want you to reverence me. Not understanding that when the Bible talks about headship, it's talking about being the chief servant. After all, woman was made as the finishing touches of creation. You realize that's the last thing God did before he rested? Looked at man and said, you're all right, Adam, but you aren't good enough. Let me put the finishing touches. Let me save the best for the last. And he made woman to gild the lily. And then he said, now, Adam, you take care of her. You're the head servant. You are to see to it that she is cared for appropriately, that the family is cared for, and he gave man the physical gen genetics, the structure, the, the muscles and the size to do what he intended for him to do for the woman. Now, if women are smart, and many of you are, you will see to it that you do, in fact, respect him. Now, the, the better interpretation is respect than reverence because there's only one person we reverence, and who is that? That's the Heavenly Father. But give him respect and take care of him and, and let him be healthy and, and let him have his roles well cared for so that he can take care for you, of you. And what are his roles? Let's look at number three. He is the lawmaker, and that simply means he is the authority figure. He's the authority figure. When our children were growing up in our home, I used to always take a vote whenever the conference would say, well, Brother Rock, we want to move you from Florida to, to Detroit and Detroit to New York, whoever we move, New York to Oakwood, I'd always get the family together and I'd take a vote. That was my role. As I mentioned before, there is one indestructible, indestructible right that the father has. It is called the right of domicile. That's the law of the land because the father is the main breadwinner. And where he moves 
has a lot to do with how the family is taken care of, so the law supports the father's right to lead out in that. But even there, I would get the family, the girls, the wife together, and I would say, now let's take a vote. Shall we go to Oakwood? Now, I'd already prepped the girls to what to say. I already told them what I wanted. <laughs> and uh, had my vote pretty well in hand, but took a formal vote, and... Uh, um, I, I shouldn't talk too much because I get in, always get in trouble when I go home. But uh, anyway, it was not a unanimous vote. I'll put it that way. It wasn't unanimous. But I, I managed to get one, I managed to get two of the three daughters on my side. So we, we went. My point is, the father has a role. The father is the lawmaker. He exercises the justice part of God's personality. God has two great spheres. He is all mercy and he is all justice at the same time. That's all God is, justice and mercy. And the wife represents mercy with justice and the husband represents justice with mercy. He is the justice, the law maker of the home, but he is permeated and flavored with mercy and the wife is the mercy personality but she's flavored with justice and that's the way God made us and each of us has our role he is to be the primary example of what God is and when the child looks up to the father he should be able to see a type of God the father so that when the child prays our father in heaven the idea that the little one has about the Godfather in heaven is illumined by how the Father on earth is acting. Amen. And if the Father on earth is a clown <laughs> and a brute, then that's the mirror, that's the prism, that's the window through which the child will see God. And number five, the father is to be a helper to the wife, especially in these days when wives have to work. There's something unjust about the father coming home and saying, I can't do this, I, I can't do that around the house because that's the woman's job. When she's out helping to make money, to feed the family, she comes home, you ought, father, we ought to be able to do things in the home to help her as well. That's all it means. Number six, and the next three are critical. The father is the priest, and you see all the references here. And if you look down at the second page at the bottom, you see the legend, the names of the books that are here abbreviated or represented. The father is the priest, the father is provider, the father is protector. Those are the three biggies. Priest, he's the lead out in the spiritual life of the family. Provider, see to it there's bread on the table and a roof over the house. And protector, see to it that people, that the house, the home is well guarded and protected and that people there are safe. And the name husband means house what? House ban. God says to us as fathers, we have primary responsibility, meaning that when things go wrong, we are the ones primarily responsible for getting them right again. Say it again. 
when things go wrong, we are the ones primarily responsible for pulling the family back together again. That's a heavy responsibility, but that's what God means when he says we are the head of the house. And what about the rule of the fathers? There's some do's and don'ts that I've listed here as we've culled from the writings of the prophet. Number one, do be available, Father. When your children are small, be available. If you are available to them when they are babies and children, and then they grow to be teenagers and adults and they have problems. If you've always been able to talk their problems and help them heal their little broken hearts when they're children, they'll more than likely turn to you when they need you later on. And be courteous, and especially courteous to your wife. It's good for fathers to hug and kiss right in front of their children. And I know what the children say, oh, gross. That's gross. Yeah, that's what ours, yeah, that's gross. Don't do that. But they are getting an example of love, and they know that you, daddy, love their mother. And their respect for their mother will have a lot to do or be based a whole lot upon the love and courtesy that you show. And be encouraging and be firm and yet be gentle and be genuine and be observant and be pleasant and be strong and be sympathetic. And as you know, you could preach a sermon on every one of these, but... All of them are important. And then, K, remember your own childhood. So soon we forget. Somebody said one of the most humbling experiences in life is seeing yourself running around on two little legs. That's a humbling experience. Remember your own childhood. Remember the problems you had. Remember when you were a little thief. And don't kill him because he's stealing. Where you think he got it? He got it from you. Remember when you were a lying little rascal. I didn't do it. And you know good and well you did. I don't have it. I didn't eat it. Remember? Remember? Daddy, remember your childhood. And if you will remember your childhood, you can be sympathetic and genuine and gentle and yet be firm. Then there's some don'ts here. Number one, don't be critical. Don't come home criticizing. And never be under section two uh, here under the don'ts. Never correct your child in passion. And I've mentioned it before. Our prophet says, never frown at your children. Don't frown at them. Doesn't mean you can't correct them. Proverbs says, spare the rod and do what? There, there, there's a time when you have to have punishment. But, and accountability. But it should be done in love. Never frown. Just smile and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Daddy has to do this, but even that, I, I think daddy should be, if at all, 
uh, daddy should be out of that kind of punishment. And there ought to be some other ways that you can incentivize and bring children in correction. But never in passion. When you're hot, when you're mad, when you're angry, when you're upset, go cool off and then come back and talk it over and do what has to be done. Again, because the father represents, the father on earth represents the father. The father on earth represents the father. And if you're mad as all get out, pardon the expression, and you want to grit your teeth and shake somebody, and you know, that's, you, don't forget, you're representing the father in heaven. You're representing the Father in heaven, and that's not the way he acts. Again, amongst the don'ts, be exacting, be headstrong. And exacting means so technical and so, so detailed on every little thing people do. Every little thing that's, that, 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 that you want to see your wife and your children measure up to every... Cool, as the young folks say, chill. Is that right? Something like that. Relax, that's what we old folk want to say. And not be uptight and exacting and, and, and making your wife toe the line and your children on every little thing. And remember, if you're ever in a quandary and don't know which to do in way of punishment, remember it's better to err on the side of mercy than to err on the side of justice. Some fathers are very headstrong. They, they can't say, I'm sorry. Because I'm, I'm the head, I can't say I'm sorry. But you know, it's, it's manly and it's Christ-like when you're wrong to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. Any parents here ever had to apologize to your children? Sure. And, and it doesn't hurt you in the eyes of your children. They know you're wrong. They're not crazy. They know you're wrong. And they know you know that they know that you're wrong. And when you fake it and just try to act like nothing's wrong and they know it and you know it, it, it destroys their respect and confidence. It's better to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, daddy didn't understand, I thought this or that, I'm sorry, I didn't hear it right, and forgive me, and keep their respect. Don't be impatient, don't be indulgent, and that simply means don't, don't follow this, this theory of Dr. Spockism and these other, these other books and writers who say that you let your family, let your children do anything. Now, while we must be merciful, I'm talking to fathers primarily, but everybody hears it. While we must be merciful, we must also understand that there is a difference between the children and the parents. Children should respect their parents. And was anything I hated in rearing children is disrespect. I could take most anything else, but disrespecting my wife and disrespecting their father was something that was my hardest trial in rearing children. And I think every parent ought to demand respect and make sure that children understand that as long as they're in the home, daddy, they have to live by the rules. And I hope you have rules, father and mother. And your children should understand that there are rules. A certain lady called me this week and said that a certain lady in her care 
is worrying her around this very same thing. But when children are coming in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and 1 o'clock in the morning, and there ought to be rules. There ought to be rules. And there should be respect. I like this letter I got several years ago out of an Ann Landers column in the newspaper. It says, Dear Son, as long as you live in this house, you will follow the rules. When you have your own house, then you can make your own rules. In this house, we do not have a democracy. I did not campaign to be your father. You did not vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God, and I accept that privilege and awesome responsibility. In accepting it, I have an obligation to perform the role of a father. I am not your pal. Our ages are too different. We can share many things, but we are not pals. I am your father. This is 100 times more than what a pal is. I am also your friend, but we are on entirely different levels. You will do in this house as I say, and you cannot question me because whatever I ask you to do is motivated by love. Now, I disagree there a little bit. I think it's all right for children to question, but after you get the answer, then that's it. The deal is done. This will be hard for you to understand until you have a son of your own, but until then, trust me with love, your father. So fathers should be firm, should be loving, not headstrong, not impatient or indulgent or neglectful or overbearing or rigid or sour or tyrannical or animalistic in which ends the part two here. Animalistic meaning give your wife a break. Don't be an animal. Give her a break. And not a single, I only heard one sister say amen. I, maybe you all don't understand me. You just want me to break it down, but I'm not going to break it down. If you don't understand it, shame on you. Fathers, don't be animalistic. The poor lady is trying to make it, taking care of all those children, and you don't be animalistic. Don't be animalistic. All right. No, I'm not going to break it down. You, you pick it up. All right. Number three, and I'm going on now to the rewards of fathers. If we follow the word of God and the instruction from the prophet that we're talking about, what will happen? We'll have success with our children, grateful children, respectful children. And you know what? It's great when children grow up and write you a letter and say, Daddy, you were right. Oh, those, those are wonderful letters. I've gotten a few letters like that. You know what? You and Mama were right. We should have listened. Wish I had listened. Now, that usually means something went wrong. But, but even at that, it's great to hear them say, we appreciate you, and we love you, and we thank you. And they will say that, Father. You might not. You might be called some names and you, 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 you know, you're a tyrant and a hard fella and you, 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 everybody else's parents are letting him go. Everybody else can go here. Everybody else goes to the movies. Everybody else goes to the dances. Everybody else, and you won't let, you stick to it, Father. 
And one day, if you do what's right, you will have successful, grateful, respectful, spiritual children and a grateful wife. And most of all, before God, you will have a clear conscience. And in the life to come, approval of God and reunion with your children by God's grace. Now, examples of fatherhood abound in the word of God. There's some negative examples, such as Eli. Remember him? Eli, over in the books of Samuel, Eli was permissive. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were in the temple, and they were, they were lighting strange fire, and they were bringing women into the house of God and doing all kinds of craziness, and they were slain in battle. And when Eli heard that his sons had been killed in battle, the Bible says he fell over on his bench. He was an old man, fell over on his bench and broke his neck and died. <laughs> Prophet of God, but he didn't rear his sons right. And he paid dearly with his life and theirs. And then there was Lot, who was selfish, and we talked about him the other day. Lot, who, when Abraham said, Here's all this territory, and here's all this acreage you choose. And selfish Lot chose to build and to settle in the greener grass, but he chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And because of his selfishness, Father Lot lost his wife and his children. Then there was Jacob, Jacob who was prejudiced toward his son Joseph and caused trouble in the family by making him coats that nobody else had. And there was Noah who was careless enough to get drunk in front of his sons. Now a lot of people read about Noah getting drunk and the curse on Canaan who was actually his grandson and they read that as a curse on the darker races. And they're generally ascribed to have come from the loins of Ham and Canaan. But it was Noah who was acting crazy. And it's true that Ham should not have laughed at his father. That was disrespectful. But the father caused the problem. The old man took off his clothes and got drunk. And I guess that's not the way it works. He got drunk and took off his clothes. Isn't that more like it? got drunk and took off his clothes in front of his sons and caused all that turmoil. And that, again, is an example of negative fatherhood. And fathers, we can't be permissive or selfish or prejudiced. We love our children all the same. Some people ask, you know, which, which you live all over the country, but the rock, which part of the country you live you like best? Well, I can live anywhere. And I really have reason to love every part of the country well. Happen to like where I am right now, right now. But when people say, your children, which child do you like best? You ought to say immediately, I love them all the same. You have to handle them differently. <laughs> you can't treat them the same. You've got to work on their personalities and, you know, Love them the same, but treat them, treat them like they need to be. And that was a problem with poor brother Jacob. But there are some positive examples. The father Abraham, of whom we read in our scripture, God says of him in Genesis 18, I know Abraham. What a wonderful thing for God to say about you or me, father. I know Abraham. I know him. I know Clarence Brown. 
Wouldn't that sound good? Yeah, I know Byron Sanford. Doesn't that sound good? I know Virgil Richardson. I know O.D. Hudson. You notice I'm being careful. I'm just calling my elders' names now. I'm not calling everybody's name. I know them that they are going to rear their children right and they're going to command their household after them. And God ought to be able to say that for me and for all of you and us who are fathers. And then there's Joshua who was determined, so determined that he could say that I know not what others may do, but as for me and my house, we will do what? We will serve. That's the kind of father we need in abundant life, and that's the kind of father we need in Las Vegas. Then there's a centurion which we have cited, who we cite, who said to Jesus, only speak and my son will be healed. And Joseph, who was kind, Joseph, the New Testament Joseph, the father of Jesus, who brought Mary into a blended family. Joseph already had children. Joseph and Mary had a blended family, but he was so kind that even when it was said and evident that Mary was pregnant and he hadn't touched her, Mary was pregnant and he hadn't touched her and the rumors got started, he was, the Bible says, of a mind to put her away privately, to deal with her secretly, and not to embarrass her. He was kind and loving. And that's one of the reasons I believe that God, our Heavenly Father, chose him to be the, the Father of Jesus, our earthly Savior. And Dr. Lee, you're a father and a grandfather. And I heard you say the other day, you're now even a great-grandfather. And you're a young-looking great-grandfather. I believe you have some information that will even help bind us off. Do you have anything to add to this profile of fatherhood? Thank you, Dr. Rock. Well, indeed, there is so, so much more that could be added to what Dr. Rock has shared with us, both from Scripture and from the writings of the pen of inspiration. As he also mentioned, I heard him say, each of these items in the outline that he has graciously shared with you, you've got about six months or a year of sermonizing that could take place right here on this whole subject. How many of you fathers would agree? How many of you have been blessed? Fathers, fathers particularly, but everybody. You've been blessed? Come on, raise up your hand and say thanks to God. Thanks to God who is our heavenly father. Our heavenly father. Let me put it this way. He is the world's greatest father. And did you pick up that phrase Dr. Rock gave us? We as fathers are his representatives. That's powerful. In other words, in so many respects, we as fathers stand in his stead. In his stead, before our wives or spouses, and before our children, we are his representatives. We stand in his stead. We cannot see God with our eyes. He is invisible, and there's reason for that. But in his stead, we as fathers are visible 
to our spouses, our wives, to our sons, to our daughters. That visibility in us as representatives, first and foremost, and I want to underscore again, we are servants. Servants. That's who we are. We're not lords. We don't, lord, we don't have the right to lord it over anybody. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. He didn't make us lords. He didn't make us gods. He didn't give us the right to shake our hand and say, you do what I say or. Nobody has that right. None of us. You know, when Jesus began his teaching ministry, and he was the greatest teacher the world has ever seen, we read about it in the book of Matthew. And he gave, among so many other things in the first few chapters, as is introduced by Matthew and the other gospel writers. But I want to point you to one reference. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. You don't have time to turn to it. It's where he teaches us how to pray. You remember the first words? When you pray, say, come on, say it with me. Which in heaven. Hold right there. Our Father, when you pray, and believe me, as a father, there will be many times that you will need to pray in your relationships with one another. You need to pray. And what is prayer? It's conversation with God. Let's talk about this, especially, Dr. Rock, when you get off balance. Times you need to just go quietly and, and pray. Ask God for, for wisdom. Ask God for the right words to say. Am I making sense? Yes. I, I, I don't want to get turned loose here because I know our time is run down. But there's so much that more can be said in that regard. John 3.16 God so loved that he did what? Now there is a powerful scripture, if ever. God so loved the world. God the Father so loved the world that he gave. There is that concept of service. He gave his only begotten son for us, for me, as an earthly father. And then I want to read a few more scriptures for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Again, you don't have time to turn to this, but listen carefully. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But if you have received the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of adoption, then you may cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And then Genesis, pardon me, Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Notice this counsel from the Apostle Paul. 
because you're sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit again, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As children of God, fathers now, sons of Abraham, when we cry, Abba, I checked the meaning of this word in the original Greek language, and it carries with it the kind of connotation that the word Abba is framed by infants, and it shows blind trust. Blind trust. The word Abba carries with it further the concepts of love, it's a word of love, a word of endearment, a word of closeness. Abba is the child's first attempt at calling his father, and it corresponds with our modern English, daddy. Daddy. A term of endearment. Tomorrow is Father's Day. I received from my children and my grandchildren cards. Father's Day cards. And I noticed on every one of them the word dad or daddy. Now, did that make me feel good? You better believe it. Now, I have one great-grandson, as you've heard Dr. Rock mention, and his name is Brylan. And the word Abba, according to the Greek scholars, also carries with it the modern English Papa. And every time I visit my great-grandson, the moment he casts his eyes up on me, he says, Papa. And he's two years old, and he, once he sees me, he breaks out in a run. And with a leap in the air, into my arm, blind trust. He knows I'm going to catch him. And he knows when I catch him, I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to bring him close to me. And at that age, I know when that happens, I'm communicating something to him that he can trust me. He can trust me when he's two, or he can trust me when he's 22. Father, Father, that's what relationship building, that's what modeling, that's what representation is all about. Building that relationship of trust because just as sure as your sons and also your daughters are born and bequeathed to you as responsible fathers, there will be times when they will need to come to you.
believing that no matter the situation, there is trust. You're not going to put them down. But God doesn't put us down. Doesn't put us down. We can always trust him. We can always trust him. There's so much more that can be said, but I close with this one example. It goes back to my own childhood. I haven't told this story often, but I tell it now. I think it's appropriate. You know, we go through that period of life called uh, the teen years. Father, you know, go to the teen years? Well, I went through them. I had some difficult times. When I was 17, I thought I was 25, really. I started acting like I was 25. I'm a man, getting ready to cross over out of the teens. I'm 17 now, make my own decisions. Well, I came home from school one day after I had had an, an altercation with the typing teacher, a man. And uh, he didn't like the way I had my hands on the keyboard. You know, you remember, well, the computers are st structured the same way. You know, A, S, D, F, you know. But he came by, and in those days, you know, as a teacher, he would walk by, and he had a little stick in his hand, and he saw my hand, and he said, quick! Wrong thing. Wrong thing for a 17-year-old. And I reacted. I reacted. To make a long story short, I ended up in the principal's office. To make a long story even shorter, the principal sent me home and said, don't come back until your father or your mother call me or bring you back. Those were the days. But anyway, when I got home, I relayed to my mother. Harry, you don't remember this. You don't remember this. That's my twin brother right there. I let her know that I was not going back to school. And all mother said was, we'll see what your father has to say about that. <laughs> My father was a no-nonsense man, worked hard in the West Virginia coal mines, wasn't standing for any foolishness, and so when he got home and mother shared with him, he came to me, he said, son, come here. What is this I hear from your mother that you are not going back to school? He said, without breaking his speech, he said, let me tell you something. I am the head of this house. I am the man. <laughs> around here, he says, Monday morning, you will be back in school, and turned and walked away. <laughs> there was no waiting for a response. Now, to make this story even more profound and memorable and appreciative for my father in taking that position as the head of the house was I had but two weeks of high school before graduation. And so I look back with pride and gratitude that my father 
My father took that position because he put me back on track. Just a few words. I'm reminded in closing reference from the writings of the spirit of prophecy servant of the church is written so profoundly on those, this subject and so many others where she talks about the Lord Jesus Christ the son of God the father born the God man born with the human same potentials in the flesh as we have but without sin It is written that what he accomplished in his relationship to us and with his heavenly father, he did it by faith. Blind, no, trust. Trust. From the time he was born, became an aid to the age of responsibility, all the way to the time he went before the cross. He could not see beyond the grave. He trusted implicitly in his heavenly father. Even on the cross, he cried, Father. There's that appeal. Father. The appeal, Father. Father. Once to God the Father, twice to God the Holy Spirit, Father. That same God, our same Lord Jesus Christ, appeals to us, to me, to you, as fathers, on this period of recognition for the responsibility, the representation that we must manifest, he appeals to us. I'm going to invite you to stand, fathers. Fathers of this church. Dr. Rock, these are your parishioners, the fathers of this congregation. If you're a visiting father, if you fathered a child, you are also welcome to stand. If you've made mistakes as I have, and every father has had, made, I invite you to stand. Stand before God, the greatest father in the universe. Stand in recognition of him and appeal or listen to his appeal. Dr. Rock, these are yours. Thank you, Pastor Lee. I'm going to ask every father here, if your wife is here, if your children are here, I want you to take him or rather take her by the hand and bring your sons and daughters, and let's have prayer. I'm going to ask Pastor Lee to pray for us. Just take your wife by the hand. If she's here, Father, your children are here. Grab your children by the hand. Bring, bring them down. Fathers, this is dedication time. Father's Day. Father's Day, dedication. It's been a busy day. We've had a lot going on. But I don't want to shortchange us from this dedication. Grab him by the hand, your son. Grab her, your daughter. If your wife is here, take her by the hand. Bring her to the altar. Bring your family down, Father. Bring your family down, fathers. In dedication. That's beautiful. 
That's beautiful. Every father, every father, I want you to take your wife, take your children. Now, Pastor, pray for us. Please bow with me. As I pray audibly, I invite you, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, pray in your own hearts. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for this day of worship. When the spiritual father of this household has drawn us together and reminded us that you are our Heavenly Father, and that you desire of us that we model what it means to be Father. Our role is a tremendous one, a great one. And so often we recognize that we are not sufficient for it. And so we plead, give us of your love, your mercy, your grace, help us to be open, transparent before our spouses, before our children, and even in the communities where we live. Continue to work with us. Give us the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of humility. And as we seek to do your will, teach us that your forgiveness is always available and your strength is always our portion as we ask for it. We do not wish to be kings nor lords, but do we do want to be available, available to our homes, in our homes, to our children, because they will have needs. And you have promised that you would supply our needs. And so I ask in a very special way, Father God, place your mantle on every father in this congregation. Be with our wives, our children, our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren. Be with us wherever we labor in your stead, on the job, May other men and women and citizens know that we, we are different because of our relationship with you. And now, as we close this prayer, I ask every father and mother, every person in this congregation today to reach out and touch somebody. Let them know that we are linked together by the love of God and we long for the day when he shall come and as scripture tells us we just can't even imagine what it's going to be when he draws us all together so let that be a beginning a new beginning today thank you for the message today thank thee for all that has taken place here today as we continue to serve thee Hear our prayer and grant the desires of our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
Let's sing as we go back to our seats. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. At the heart's portals, he kindly is waiting, waiting for you and me. Come home, come home.